Part Two of The Flame Breathers by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Two. For a moment of startled horror, we stood motionless. The floating little flame seemed bounding now just over the rocks. Bounding? Abruptly I seemed to see a dark shape of solidity under it, something almost but not quite invisible in the blackness. A tangible thing? A creature burning? Thoughts are instant things. I recall that in that second I had the impression of a four-legged thing like a huge dog bounding toward us over the rocks. The flame in which it was enveloped had spread. It was a blob of flame, but solidity was there. All in a second my little electro-gun was in my hand, and then from beside me Torrance fired, his flash with a whining sizzle splitting the blackness of the gully with its pencil point of hurled electrons. His hasty aim, quite evidently, was wild. I saw the little splash of colored sparks where his charge hit the rocks. Too high. My gun was leveled, but in that split second the oncoming blob of fire abruptly had been extinguished. There was only the faint blurred suggestion of the dog-like thing. It had stopped short, and then suddenly was retreating. My shot and Jan's followed it. In another five seconds there was no possibility of hitting it. Silently it had vanished. There was only the black, silent gully around us, with the blurred crags standing like menacing dark ghosts. My instinct then, I must admit, was for us to retreat at once to our ship. In the heavy, empty silence we stood blankly gazing at each other. Torrance was grim, Jan was shaking with excitement and the fear all of us felt. "'You heard that whistle?' I murmured. "'I heard it!' Jan exclaimed. "'Something! Somebody! Human!' There were weird, hostile inhabitants on Vulcan, no question of that now. And here was Roberts's body with a metal sliver of arrow in its back, mute evidence of what we were facing. And already our presence here had been discovered. I stared around at the rocky darkness, every blurred crag now seeming to mask some unknown menace. That whistle, Torrance murmured, calling off that flaming thing, started at our shots. Something is around here watching us now, undoubtedly. The yawning dark doorway of the wrecked spaceship was near us. Something seemed lying just beyond its threshold. "'You two stay here,' I told Torrance and Jan. "'Don't let them surprise us again. We'll have to get back to our ship.' The port doorway led into a little pressure chamber. On its dark, sloping floor, as the wrecked ship lay askew, I stood with my flashlight illumining so ghastly a scene that my blood chilled in my veins. It was a bloody shambles of horror. For a moment I gazed, and as I turned away, second, I found Jan at my elbow. He too had been staring. He clutched at me, white and shaken, and I turned away my light. The rest of them, he murmured. Yes, looks that way all of them. The bodies were strewn, 
clothing and flesh ripped apart, so that here were only the bones of men, with pulpy crimson. No humans did that, Jan. No, he shuddered. That thing in flames that came at us. His words died in his throat. Outside there was a scream, a shrill, eerie human cry, the high-pitched scream of a woman. Gun in hand, with Jan close behind me, I ran outside. The dimness of the rocky gully seemed empty. The cry had died away. Torrance! You, Torrance! What in the devil! My low, vehement words wafted away. There was no Torrance. Cautiously I ran around the bow of the wrecked ship, gazing down its other side. Torrance! Torrance! The nearby rocks seemed to echo back my words, mocking me. Why, why, Jan gasped, I left him right out here. He was just standing, looking down at Robert's body with the arrow in it. I just thought I'd go inside with you for a minute. I pulled him down to the ground. We crouched close against the side of the ship. That scream, I whispered, wasn't far away, a few hundred feet down the gully. It sounded like a girl. It did, didn't it, Bob? If they got torrents that quickly, uh, an arrow in him. I peered, tense. The rock shadows were all motionless. In the heavy, blank silence there was only my startled breathing and yawns, and the thumping of my own heart against my ribs. Had this weird enemy gotten torrents so swiftly, so silently? Something not human, that had so quickly seized him and dragged him away? Or one of those metal arrows in his back, so that his body was lying around here somewhere, masked by the darkness? Jan and I had certainly not been inside the ship more than a minute or two. A sharp, clattering ping against the alamite side of the wrecked ship struck away my thoughts. A metal arrow. It bent against the hull plate and dropped almost beside me. The still-hidden sniper had seen us, that was evident, for the arrow had whizzed only a foot or so over our heads. Jan, lower! We almost flattened ourselves against the bulge of the hull, with a little pile of boulders in front of us. My gun was leveled, but there was nothing to shoot at. Then, from diagonally across the gully, again there came a sharp human cry, a girl's voice. It was soft this time, a bursting little cry, half suppressed. Thoughts are instant things. I was aware of the cry, and with it there was another whiz, another arrow. This one was wider of the mark. It hit far to one side of us, up near the bow of the ship. Jan, wait! His little flash-gun was up in the crevice of the rocks in front of us. In another second he would have fired. I saw his target, two dim blobs across the gully. For just that second they were visible as they rose up out of the hollow. A man, and the slighter figure with him, seemed that of a girl. Her hair, glistening like spun metal in the dim light, hung over her shoulders. The two figures were struggling. There was the sound of the girl's low cry and a grunt from the man. My low admonition stopped Jan from firing, and in another second the shapes across the gully had vanished. That girl, I murmured, she tried to keep him from killing us. Seemed that way, don't you think? Well, 
We waited. From across the gully there was no sound. I could see now that there was a little ridge in the broken, littered gully floor, behind which the two figures had vanished. A lateral depression was there, with the ragged, broken cliff wall some ten feet behind it. "'Do you suppose there's only one of them?' Jan whispered. "'One man, and that girl?' "'And that—that that thing in flames.' There was no sign of the animal-like creature. For another moment we crouched, tense, peering, listening. A loose stone the size of my fist was here beside me. I picked it up. It was weirdly heavy for its size. Then I flung it out into the gully to the right of us. It fell with a clatter. Our enemy was there, all right. An arrow whizzed in the darkness and struck near where the stone had fallen. Jan laughed with contempt. <laughs> Dumb enough, that fellow. Bob, listen, we've got flash guns. That fellow with no brains and just with arrows. True enough. You stay here, I whispered. What's the idea? You wait a couple of minutes, then throw another stone off to the right, about the same place. Understand? No, I don't. Well, you do it anyhow. There seemed a line of shadow to the left of us, a shadow which extended well out into the gully. The ground dropped down in that area, a slope strewn with crags broken with little crevices. Crouching low, I crept to the bow of the ship, to the left away from Jan, sank down, waited. There was no sound. Evidently I had not been seen. I started again, picking my way down the slope. A minute. I was well out into the gully now, ten feet or so down, so that I could not see the wrecked ship where Jan was crouching. From here the opposite cliff wall showed dark and ragged. Occasionally it yawned with openings, like little cave mouths. The place where the figures had been crouching should be visible from here. The broken lower side of the little ridge behind which they had dropped was in view to me now. It was dark with shadow, but there seemed nothing there. Slowly, cautiously, I crossed the gully. Two minutes since I had left Jan. I melted down beside a rock, almost at the edge of the cliff wall, and then out in the gully, far to the right, I heard the stone clatter as Jan threw it. There was no answering arrow shot this time. One can be very incautious, usually at the wrong moment. I recall that I stood up to see better, though I flattened myself against a boulder, and suddenly, close beside me, I was aware of a padding, thudding, rhythmic sound on the rocks. I whirled. I had only a second's vision of a dark, bounding animal shape coming at me. My sizzling little flash went under it as it rose in one of its bounding leaps. I had no time to fire another shot. Frantically I pulled the trigger lever, but the gun's voltage had not yet rebuilt to firing pressure. Futilely I flung the gun into the creature's face as it bore down upon me. The impact of the dark oblong body knocked me backward so that I fell with its sprawling, snarling upon me. In the chaos of my mind there was only the dim realization of a heavy body as big as my own, spindly legs, like the legs of a huge dog. There seemed six or eight legs scrambling on me. 
Wildly I fought to heave it off. There was a face, a ring of glaring green eyes, fang-like jaws of a long-pointed snout which opened snarling with a gibbering, gruesome cry. I shoved my left forearm into the jaws as they came at my face. They closed about my arm, ripping, tearing. But somehow I was aware that I had lunged to my feet, and the thing reared up with me. It was a thing almost as heavy as myself. My left arm had come loose from its jaws, and as its scrabbling weight pressed me I went down again. A thing of rubber? It seemed boneless, the shape of it bending as I seized it. A gruesome, yielding body. My flailing blows bounded back from it. Then I knew that I was gripping it by the head, twisting it. The snarling, snapping jaws suddenly opened wide with a scream, a scream that faded into a mouthing gibber, and in my grip the thing went limp. I cast it away, and it sank to the rocks, quivering. For an instant I stood panting, trembling with nausea, sickening me. On my hands the flesh of the weird antagonist was sticking like viscous, gluey rubber, hot and clinging. Hot? I stared at my hands in the dimness. For a second I thought it was phosphorescence. Then yellow-green wisps of flame were rising from my hands. Frantically I plunged in into my jacket pockets. The tiny flames were extinguished. I stripped off my jacket, flung it away, and it lay with a little smoke rising from it where the weird stuff was trying again to burst into flames. The skin of my hands was seared, but the contact with the flames had been only momentary and the burns were not severe. It had all happened in a minute or two. I recall that I was standing, trembling, staring at the yawning mouth of a cave entrance which was nearby in the cliff face. A movement in there, a moving blob. Then I was aware that there was a light behind me. Off across the gully there was a blob of light fire, a red-green blob, swirling, scrambling, and the sound of a distant, gibbering snarl. The singing whiz of an arrow past my head made me turn again. My human adversary! I saw him now. He was coming at a run from the mouth of the cave, a wide-shouldered, grotesquely shaped man with a brown, hairy garment draped upon him. He swayed like a gorilla on thick, bent legs. In one hand he held what seemed an arrow-sling, in the other he carried a long, narrow segment of rock swinging it like a club. He was no more than ten feet from me. In the dimness I could see his huge round head with tangled, matted, blank hair. As I whirled to meet him his voice was a bellow of guttural roar like an animal bellowing to intimidate its enemy. I turned, jumped sidewise, and abruptly from a rock shadow another shape rose up. Slim, small white body brown draped with long, gleaming, tawny hair. The girl! Her voice gasped. You run! He kill you! In here, this way! The bellowing savage had turned heavily in his rush and was charging us. In her terror and confusion the girl gripped me, shoving me toward the cave. As we ran I flung an arm around her, lifting her up. She weighed hardly more than a child. 
Then we were in the blackness of a tunnel passage. I set her down. Lie down. Be quiet. I whispered vehemently. She understood me. She crouched back against the side wall. There seemed a little light here, a glow which I realized was inherent to the rocks, like a vague, faint phosphorescence. But it was brighter outside. The charging savage had evidently paused at the entrance. As I stared now, his bulky figure loomed there, grotesque silhouette. Then doubtless he saw me. With another bellow he came charging in. I stood, waiting, like a toreador, in front of a heavily charging bull. It was something like that, for as he rushed me, swinging his club and plunging with lowered head of matted hair, nimbly I jumped aside. I had seized a rock half as big as my head. He had no time to turn and poise himself as I jumped on him, crashing the rock at the side of his broad, ugly face as he straightened and swung around. Ghastly blow! His face smashed in as the rock seemed to go into it. For a second his hulking body stood balanced upon the crooked legs and broad, flat, bare feet. Gruesome dead thing with the face and top of the head gone, it balanced on legs, suddenly turned rigid. Then it toppled forward and thudded against the passage wall, sliding sidewise to the ground where it lay motionless. In the phosphorescent dimness I dropped beside the girl. She was panting with terror, shuddering, with her hands before her face. "'It's all right,' I murmured. "'Or at least maybe it isn't all right with you, but he's dead anyway.' Utterly incongruous, the delicately formed bronze-white girl and that hulking, grotesque, clumsy savage. "'Oh, yes,' she murmured. "'Dear, yes.' You speak English. Strange, here on Vulcan. But from your Captain Roberts, he was the friend of mine, of all the Sinzas. He's dead. An arrow in him, lying over there by his wrecked ship, the rest of them dead inside. Yes, I know it. That was these orgs. I was caught just the last time of sleep. Tog, surely it seems it must be. Tog, who sent this org to take me from my father's house. A captive, and she had fought with her savage captor to stop him from sending an arrow into me. Then, in his absorption as he tried to stalk me, she had broken loose from him. Just this one org, I murmured. Is he the only one around here? He and that uh, animal thing which I killed? That, uh, a female Mime, you, you... She was huddling beside me, clinging to me, still shuddering. Two orgs there were, she whispered, and another Mime, a fire male. The flame creature. Queerly, it was not until that instant that I thought of Jan. Out there across the gully, that swirling, swaying blob of firelight. Those snarling sounds. Jan had been attacked by another of the savages and by the weird flaming creature, the Mime fire male, as the girl called it. I jumped to my feet. What? What do you do? she demanded. You stay here. What's your name? Ama, daughter of Ram the Senza. Uh, he my father. He very good friend of Captain Roberts, good friend of all the earthmen, like you, 
you are Earthmen? Yes. Now, Amma, listen. I came here with another Earthman, with two others, in fact. One of them is over there by the Robert's ship. You wait here. No! she gasped. I had dashed toward the tunnel entrance, but I found her with me. No, no, I stay with you. From the entrance the gully showed dim and silent. Over the little rise of ground just the top of the Robert's spaceship was visible. Amma clung to me. I'd stay with you, she insisted. Cautiously we picked our way across the gully, up the small ascending slope. No sound, nothing moved. But now there was a pungent, acrid chemical smell hanging here in the windless air. The fire, Mime, Amma whispered. You smell the fire? Then he was angry, ready to fight. He fought, I retorted grimly. I saw it. Look, look there. Her slim arm, as she gestured, tinkled with metal bubbles hanging on it. I saw up the slope the blob of something lying on the rocks. Yon! My heart pounded. But it wasn't Yon. The body of one of the weird oblong animals was lying there, lying on its side with its six legs stiffly outstretched. Ugly, hairless thing, like a giant dog which had been skinned. I could see now that the gray-green flesh had a greasy, pulpy look. What strange organic material was this? Certainly nothing like it existed on Earth. Impervious to heat, as the human stomach tissue is impervious to the action of its own digestive juices. Evidence of the thing's flaming oxidation was here. Wisps of smoke were rising from the ground about the slack body. Had Jan killed it? The ring of eyes above the long muzzle snout bulged with a glassy, goggling dead stare. The jaws were open, with a thick, forked black tongue protruding, and green, sticky-looking froth still oozing out. The teeth were long and sharp, fangs like polished black ivory protruding from the jaw. The cause of its death was obvious. A knife-slash had ripped, almost severed its throat, and a hideous wound, where green-black viscous ooze was still slowly dripping, with smoky vapor rising from it. For a moment, with little Amma clinging to me, I must have stood appalled at the weird sight of the dead fire Mime. If Jan had fought and killed it, then where was he now? And where was that other Org, companion of the clumsy savage I had killed when it had tried to attack me? And where was Torrance? Your friend, he did this, Amma was murmuring. Yes, I guess so, I raised my voice cautiously. Jan, oh Jan, where are you? The dark-shadowed rocks mocked me with their muffled, blurred echo of my call. There seemed nothing here alive save Amma and me. The wrecked spaceship lay broken and silent on the rocks, with the gruesome, strewn bodies of the Earthmen in it. And the body of Robert still lay there, outside, near the bow. Yon! Yon! Then Amma abruptly gasped. The orgs! See them up there! The cliff, which was the gully wall, at this point was some fifty feet high. I stared up to a patch of yellow light which had appeared there in the darkness. 
a band of the murderous orgs. Carrying flaming torches, a dozen or more of the gargoyle savages stood above us on the cliff brink. One stood in advance of them, pointing down at us. He was the other one, doubtless, who had originally been down here with Amma. Around them half a dozen of the huge greenish mimes bounded, whining with gibbering cries of eagerness. And at that instant an arrow came down. I saw one of the savages sling it from a flexible, whip-like contrivance. The whistling metal shaft sang past our heads and clattered on the rocks. Amma was clutching me. You come! Oh, hurry! They kill us both! There was no argument about that. I flung a last look around with a vague thought that I would see Jan lying there. Then I let Amma guide me. At a run we headed back down the declivity and diagonally across the gully. A rain of arrows came down, clattering around us, but in a moment most of them were falling short. Which way, Amma? Where we go? My people, the village, not too far. Which way? Through this cliff there are passages into the lower valley. You know the way? Yes, oh yes. A dark opening in the opposite cliff presently was before us. The orgs were coming down the other cliff now, their bellowing voices and the whining cries of the mimes were a blended babble. A storm is coming, Amma said suddenly. The distant sky over the lower end of the gully was shot now with weird lurid colors. In the heavy dark silence here around us a sudden sharp puff of wind plucked at us, tossing Amma's long tawny hair. This way, she added. My arm went around her as another wind-blast thrust us sideways, almost knocking her off her feet. Then, clinging together, fighting our way in a rush of wind, which now abruptly was a roar, we plunged into the depths of the yawning tunnel. End of Part Two